the grass is always greener, but um, I don't know, it would be cool to play in, in Gainesville. Uh, you know, I, it's hard to say, I don't really know exactly what that would mean for Jacksonville, Athens, Gainesville, the city and all that stuff, but it would be cool to, to play down there. Um, but as far as permanently, I, I, I don't know. Hello and welcome. Today is the Wednesday edition of Always College Football. Today is October 26th. Thanks for being with us. We really appreciate it. Whether it's on ESPN's YouTube channel or if you're here with us via the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. And we appreciate you telling your friends what's been going on here at Always College Football as we try to build this thing. He's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. Thanks so much again for taking some time to talk some college ball with us. We have a great show in store for you today. Wednesday, as you know, it's our day to kind of step back just a little bit. We used to play 10 questions and still, of course, we'll get into some serious questions. We're going to hit the mailbag here in just a little bit. So our questions come courtesy of our incredible listeners. But today we're going to do something that we did last week because we're starting to get now to the midway, maybe even the latter part of October. We're going to start to get into some of our rankings. We did our top 10 last week. Several of you had strong reactions to the top 10. There is some adjustments to be made. There are some adjustments to be made here. In uh, iteration number two of our weekly top 10s, we'll make those adjustments. A couple teams moved considerably based on where they were last week. And we're going to talk about neutral site games. That's a hot topic of debate, especially knowing what's going on right now between Florida and Georgia or Georgia and Florida depending on what side of the rivalry that, that we're on. And we're going to look at one of the best moments in college football history. So let's kick it off by ranking these teams, because I know you won't have a strong reaction to that. Let's get to it. All right, top 10s. As everyone knows, rankings, there's only one fan base that's going to be happy, and that's the team that's ranked number one. Everyone else is going to be angry and trying to justify why they should be number one. Shoot, we might even hear from some Oregon fans saying that they should be number one. I don't know. We'll see. But either way, here's our top 10. And I already read it to you last week. I told you that my top 10 is a little different than most other people's top 10 because I do not base my rankings on how I think teams would fare. Hear that one more time, okay? My rankings are not based on who I think would win in head-to-heads on a neutral site. My rankings are based off of what you've accomplished. So every single one of these teams' grades up to this point, here we are sitting here October 26th, every single team's grade up to this point is incomplete. Why? Because of backloaded scheduling. There are some teams, let's use TCU as an example. TCU has had an incredibly difficult stretch over the last handful of weeks. So they're going to be propped up probably a little bit higher than some others. Why? Because they've beaten good teams up to this point. Some teams, a la, say, Ohio State, they're probably a little lower than they would be in a normal ranking. Why? Because their schedule's backloaded and the teams they've played in the first two months of the season have not lived up to their preseason billing. And that's not Ohio State's fault. But up to right now, they haven't really beaten anybody. Yes, it's been convincing, but they haven't really beaten anybody of significance, I might add. The good news is, if you're Ohio State, 
if you're one of those teams that's maybe a little bit disappointed with your current standing, just look at what you have remaining. All right. If you have good teams remaining on your schedule, you're still in great shape. If you don't have good teams remaining on your schedule, and I'm looking at you, Clemson, you might need a little help to find your way in to the college football playoff. But that's my prequel to my top 10. Are you ready to get into it? All right. Team number 10, the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Welcome to the top 10. That was, I thought, this past weekend. Now, we can talk about some of the other performances. We can talk about them letting TCU off the hook. We could talk about some of the lack of defensive prowess that's been on display from time to time. We could talk about all those things. That's fine. I don't think Oklahoma State is like a true national championship contender. They're way too inconsistent, and frankly, they're beat up. But that's kind of what I loved most about their performance last week. Oklahoma State has a good resume. All right, They're sitting there in a pretty good spot with one loss, that one loss being to TCU, a team that you're going to hear about in just a second. And they had firm control of that game before it slipped away. Well, that was two weeks ago. What happened this past week? With a group that included several backups on the field, several backups that hadn't played significant snaps at all different positions, I might add, on defense, on offense, man, they were a ragtag unit there in the second half of that football game. What'd they do? They erased a 10-point deficit to get the win against the Texas Longhorns, a team who I also have tremendous respect for. So, Oklahoma State, welcome to the top 10. You belong here, that's for sure. Now, give me a little more consistency on defense, please. Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit, please, for me. So I can justify this ranking with more conviction next week. Number nine, the USC Trojans. All right, USC was at 10 last week. I moved them up one spot. A couple teams dropped out. You'll probably realize who's missing here in just a minute. USC is up to number nine. That shouldn't require a whole lot of explanation. Still plenty to play for. I think the Pac-12 is actually quite good. And I think USC, look, they're they're sliding up a bit. They still have some good wins, still have some solid performances, but they still have a lot of meat on the bone as well. They're there at nine right now, but still a bit of an incomplete grade. Losing by one on the road to a pretty good Utah team. Not the end of the world, but I do think this team has some things to iron out on defense as well. And if they don't iron things out, they'll drop like a bad habit here in the weeks to come. Number eight. And I strongly considered moving this team even higher. It's the Oregon Ducks. The Oregon Ducks had the performance of the weekend this past weekend. We visited with Dan Lanning. He is obviously one of my favorite coaches with the type of performance that they put together this past weekend. Loved the surprised onside. And y'all know, if you look at my rankings last week, man, I have a ton of respect for UCLA. A ton of respect. And still do, by the way. If I'm putting together a list, UCLA is sitting there 11, 12, 13 in that vicinity. I mean, they're right there on the first out page of the leaderboard. UCLA is still really good. And I look at how they move the football in this game, and I'm thinking to myself, man, UCLA is still pretty good. I didn't come away thinking that UCLA stinks in this performance. But I did come away thinking, man, Oregon's pretty dang good from a situational defensive perspective. I'm not talking about total yards. I'm talking about red zone. For them to allow seven red zone penetrations, penetrations meaning into the 30-yard line or closer, four, a handful of field goals, three field goals, and an interception, man, that's pretty dang solid. And to get a convincing victory against a quality team, that was all I wanted to see from Oregon. I actually strongly considered moving them up even just the tiniest bit higher. But I cannot get week one out of my mind. I just can't. And I'm not saying that they won't 
potentially overcome that and, you know, backdoor their way into a college football playoff spot. Shoot, you run the table if you're Oregon. You're sitting there at 12 and 1. You're going to have a legitimate argument. You are. Now, if your argument's trying to be made against Georgia, we all know how that's going to go. But there's going to be an argument to be made. And it might be against another one-loss Power 5 team. Let's say Oklahoma State, the aforementioned Oklahoma State. Maybe they get revenge against TCU in the Big 12 championship game, and they're 12-1. and You have Oklahoma State at 12-1 and against Oregon at 12-1. and Well, who has the upper hand? TBD, obviously, but Oregon... Very impressive. They are not eliminated in my eyes from the playoff conversation, but I can't. I just can't have them higher than eighth. I initially thought maybe seventh. I even at one point thought maybe put the, putting them at six. I really did, but I ended up putting them at eight because that big, big deficit and that big beatdown that they experienced at the hands of the of the defending national champion is just far too much for me to overlook. At number seven, the Alabama Crimson Tide. They move up two spots from where they were last week. You're obviously noticing there's two teams I dropped out. In case you missed it, UCLA's out, Ole Miss is out. All right, fair enough. You're probably wondering, all right, who's out? How, how are these teams moving up? Who fell down? Well, those are the two teams that are out, okay? Alabama moves up to number seven. It was a, it was a fine performance against Mississippi State. It, it wasn't great. I didn't think they were great offensively. Uh, I thought their defense was excellent. I think it was a really solid defensive performance, which is exactly what I wanted to see. Against Tennessee, that defense was on their heels the entire game, gave up a ton of big plays. Wasn't the case at any point against Mississippi State. It was a thorough and sound performance on that side of the ball. Offensively, they got a lot to clean up. They do. A lot to clean up. They got to get more separation. And they Look, Bryce Young running around and, and creating and buying time and making plays, you, you can do that, sure. That's great. But I don't know if you can do that all the time and feel great about who you're playing against here coming up on the schedule. Even though I just moved Ole Miss out, Ole Miss still a really good team. They're on the schedule. LSU, how about what they did this past weekend? Was there a better performance on the weekend than what LSU did? Probably not. They'd be right there in the top 15 for me based on what they could do here moving forward. Plus, I just told you, I have a lot of respect for Ole Miss. LSU just dominated them. What does that tell you? Maybe they'd be sitting there in the 15s or so between the two. And if they can get a win on the road at, say, a top 15 LSU team, follow it up with a win against a solid Ole Miss team, and then follow it up by beating a Georgia team. I mean, those are three legit teams, and you better play a whole lot better offensively against those three teams than you did this past weekend against Mississippi State. Credit to Mississippi State, but Alabama's up two spots because I like Mississippi State on defense especially. I think that's a really solid unit on that side of the ball. So Mississippi State, good win for Alabama. Not perfect, but good win nonetheless. That's why they slide up to number seven from number nine last week. Now the top six. Not a whole lot of movement from last week, so I won't spend a ridiculous amount of time on it. Clemson survives a nail-biter. It was not a good performance, but let's just think about it this way. They just beat a previously undefeated Syracuse team and were minus three in the turnover ratio. Think about that. They just beat a previously undefeated Syracuse team and were minus three in the turnover ratio. It's pretty good, right? Pretty good for the Clemson Tigers. Look, I know DJ looked really, really bad. Played bad, made bad reads, didn't see coverage, looked like he was aiming the football, didn't handle the football there on the goal line that led to a big touchdown. But ultimately, Clemson found a way to get it done. 
They put in Cade Klubnik. They leaned heavily on the offensive and defensive lines, and they got enough to get maybe their most impressive victory of the season. So if you look at what Clemson's done really up to this point, man, there's just not a whole lot on the resume. There's just not. And I think Syracuse is pretty good. Now, Clemson needs to be Syracuse's biggest fan. Like from this point forward, Clemson, when they're not playing, needs to trade in their orange for Syracuse orange. Are those the same color? They might as well be. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, they look kind of similar to me, I guess. So, I mean, they need to put on, maybe cross out their paw and put an S on there because if Syracuse looks really good and that win strengthens over time, that will only benefit Clemson and their strength of schedule. So Clemson, they did what they needed to do. They got the job done. It wasn't pretty, but a win's a win. They kept the winning streak at home alive. All right? They got a lot to iron out, though, man. I don't think any of us came away from that game saying, whoa, look at Clemson. I certainly didn't. Okay? And you shouldn't either. Moving on to team number five. This is TCU. It's exactly where I had them last week. Look, have they been fortuitous? Yes. The answer is yes. All right. They play against a Kansas team or start really started with Oklahoma. Dylan Gabriel goes out of the game nine minutes left in the second quarter against Kansas. They lose their quarterback, Jalen Daniels. In comes Bean. They lose their quarterback. They play Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders, not at 100 percent, especially in the second half of that football game. So then next thing you know, Kansas State loses Adrian Martinez and their backup quarterback. I don't think I've ever seen a stretch in which they've played against either a hurt starter or a backup for four consecutive games against quality competition. So TCU, yes, they've been fortuitous up to this point, but you got to give credit where credit is due. These guys are the comeback kids, man. Back-to-back weeks, being able to come back from significant deficits. Last week, a significant deficit against Oklahoma State, and then this past weekend against Kansas State, coming back from 28-10. So you got to give credit where credit is due, man, but it doesn't get any easier. Now you got an 11 a.m. kick local, Fort Worth time, 11 a.m. kick on the road at West Virginia this week. And I don't think West Virginia is very good. I don't think you do either. Believe it. They're not going to necessarily be a feather in the cap of the TCU Horn Frogs. All right. It's just not going to happen. Not if you get this win. This is one of those where, hey, you're expected to win. You better win. You better win big. Yeah, well, it's 11 a.m. kick on the road at a difficult place to play. TCU better buckle up. It's a tricky one this week. This has upset central written all over it. You got a desperate team in West Virginia fighting for their coaches live right off of an awful performance against Texas Tech. I think you're going to get West Virginia's best punch this week. So TCU, upset alert, be careful. You're at number five right now, but be, 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 be careful. All right? Number four, Ohio State. It's exactly where I hedged last week. Why? Because a great, dominant 54-point performance against Iowa is awesome. Awesome. But I can't, at this point, justify moving you up in front of any of the three teams in front of you. Why? Because I don't think Iowa's good. This week for Ohio State is the week that needs to be circled. This is the week, man. Like this, Because a lot of people, contrary to what everyone wants you to think, people are going to tell you, well, Penn State stinks. You see him against Michigan? Yeah, I did. I think Michigan's pretty good. And guess what? I've seen him against Minnesota. And I think Minnesota's pretty good. And I saw Penn State work Minnesota. I, I think Penn State's good. Uh, now, are they super elite? No. But you catch them at their place in what should be a chaotic environment. You're going to get Penn State's best shot this weekend. There's no doubt. You're going to get Penn State's Biggest punch. And if Ohio State can weather the storm. And look, Penn State is athletic enough, by far, 
the most athletic team that Ohio State's played up to this point. That includes Notre Dame. That includes every other team that they've faced on their schedule. This is by far the best matchup, I guess, from an opponent against Ohio State. Why? Because they can run. They have good athletic players in the secondary that can cover. And I think Clifford, the lights won't be too big for him. Like this could be a career-defining game for Sean Clifford. So Ohio State fans that are listening to this right now, you can make threats. You can tell me how unbiased I am or how biased I am. Whatever it is, that's fine. I don't care. I really don't care. It, your threats and accusations don't bother me. Want well, to know why? Because your opinion of me is none of my business. I just call it how I see it. And what I know about Ohio State is that, yeah, I wouldn't want to play you. No way. And I think that team can beat anyone in the country. No doubt about it. But your resume warrants being ranked number four. Everyone else can tell you that you're the best team on planet Earth. That's fine. I believe that this, this business that we're in, is a prove-it business. And if you go on the road and prove it this weekend, your ranking will be impacted significantly. Because you could very easily, you go out there and you smoke Penn State, in my world, you could go from four to one in the blink of an eye. So go out and play well this weekend. I think you will. And if you get a convincing victory, come back next Wednesday and see where you rank. Because I promise you, I'll be fair. I'm not, I'm not dogging Ohio State. It's a prove-it business. It's what you've done. And you've dominated everybody. Problem is, everybody ain't good. So this week is your first real test. Look forward to seeing how you perform. I think you're going to do great. Here's the one switch. All right, there's only one switch in the top six, and it's Tennessee, who falls down to number three. Georgia is in at number two. You're going to say, hang on a second. Wait, wait. Tennessee just dominated, just absolutely dominated an FCS opponent. How the heck can you justify dropping them down a spot? Well, I, it's not, nothing that Tennessee did. We're going to say, well, how, do, how can you justify moving Georgia up a spot? That doesn't make any sense. You had Georgia at three last week. They take a week off and you move them up a spot? Ha! Because Georgia's strength of schedule improved. Why? Because Oregon's legit. Yeah, that's right. This whole thing works together, okay? It's, look, are there going to be some things in which, yeah, it's difficult to kind of pinpoint, like, all right, well, well he's, you know, he, he's saying one thing about this team, another thing. Y'all rank 25 teams without any contradictions. Like, I challenge all of you to go put, a list together of 25 teams without having contradictions. There's going to be contradictions. There have to be. I mean, it's like it's impossible to put together a list in which there aren't certain variables that you need to take into account. All right? But Georgia soundly beat my number 18. Soundly, flat out dominated my number 18. Like I wasn't sold on Oregon. But guess what? After last week, I am. Oregon now is at number eight in my poll. Georgia, therefore is up to number two, whereas Tennessee is slides down from number two to number three. Why are they number three? Well, they, they beat Alabama, and Alabama's sitting at number seven, one spot ahead of Oregon, but it wasn't the same type of convincing dominance that we saw from Georgia against my number eight team in Oregon. So that's all we're at. Georgia's two, Tennessee's three. The good news is if you're Tennessee, get all mad and bothered and upset and, and angry, it's fine. Guess what? You play them next week. You win, you move up. Simple as that. Number one, Michigan Wolverines unchanged. I told you last week, still have a ton of respect 
for Penn State. And to see, to see Michigan just move them and gash them and run right through that defense to me is all I wanted to see. Ton of respect for Penn State. Michigan crushed them. Michigan also has put together some pretty good wins along the way. I think as has Ohio State, as has Georgia, as had Tennessee, as have all these teams. But this is a really big and interesting week, I think, when it comes to the rankings because Ohio State is the linchpin in this whole conversation. They could get a huge boost up if they take care of business on the road against a team that I have a ton of respect for in Penn State. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. All right, now it's time to get to a hot topic of debate. It's been going on now and raging here in the Southeastern Conference for quite a while. Georgia and Florida. Kirby Smart's been extremely outspoken about the disadvantage his program has had when it comes to playing his biggest opponent every year, the Florida Gators, the biggest opponent in the East for them. I know Tennessee fans, don't get, don't get disgruntled, Tennessee fans. I'm just saying, since Kirby has been the head coach at Georgia, the biggest rivalry game for them has been against the Florida Gators. And they play that game in Jacksonville in an NFL stadium at a neutral site where they can leave tickets for recruits, but they can't obviously host them in Athens there on a big football weekend. So why is this significant? All right. Feels like this is coming to an end. They've been playing the neutral site there in Jacksonville. Uh, they had home and home games in 94 and 95, but they've been playing in Jacksonville since 1933. It's pretty amazing when nearly a hundred years that they've been playing the world's largest outdoor cocktail party there in Jacksonville. And this is obviously a very significant turn in the world of college football, if in fact we get away from it. All right. Here's where I understand completely where Kirby Smart's coming from. People are going to say, well, he's had great recruiting classes every year. Kirby Smart's not wired like you and I. All right. He's not. That's probably why he's a super successful head coach. The guy's wired in a way in which the best is great, but he wants to be the best next year and the year after that. He wants to continue dominating on the recruiting trail and he feels like playing his biggest opponent away from his home field is that puts his team as a disadvantage for instance like he's recruiting against the likes of alabama alabama's biggest games are not played at neutral sites they're played against lsu and brian denny or against auburn and brian denny every other year you get to big what you or texas a&m and brian denny like every other year you get to have multiple big recruiting weekends in your home stadium for recruits to come and experience a home football game weekend. So I understand very much why Kirby Smart feels the way he feels. Here's the problem. 
And I'm this is a little bit close to home for me because I grew up in Dallas Fort Worth. All right. The reason why I love college football is not because I grew up going to TCU games. All right. Or grew up going to SMU games. I grew up going to the Red River shootout when Texas played Oklahoma every year. I went every year. I moved to Dallas in 1998 and went every single year. And my fandom for college football is a direct result of that neutral site environment. The difference, though, in that environment, there at the Cotton Bowl, in the middle of the state fair, is very different than that of playing at TIAA Bank Field in Jacksonville, Florida. There's no disrespect to TIAA Bank, okay? I get that Sir Purr goes and swims in the jacuzzi up there at you know the Jacksonville Jaguars games, all right? That's fine. But that doesn't feel collegial. Like, I'll just tell you flat out. Playing in the Cotton Bowl or calling a game in the Cotton Bowl or visiting the Cotton Bowl as a fan, it feels like you're stepping back in time. Okay? It feels like you're stepping back into a simpler era with no sweets, you know, no, you know, nothing fancy, no frills. You just are going for the sheer love of the game. All right? You just love your team and you're walking in there and you got your little radio and I feel like it's 1976 and I'm going to watch my squad and it's going to be split down the middle and we're going to be fired up. But when you walk into an NFL stadium and I've played in Jacksonville three times, once as a college player, twice as an NFL player, it's an awful environment. Is that, am I not allowed to say that? Like, is the mayor of Jacksonville going to call me and like chew me out? Maybe. I mean, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, all you're ever going to get from me is honesty. It's an awful environment. It's a sterile environment. And it's one of the worst, probably one of the worst stadiums in the NFL. I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm, I won't put, you know, sorry, I'm not going to put a silver lining on it. It's one of the worst stadiums in the NFL. We played Florida State there as a college player back in 2007, and we were all completely underimpressed. And we were playing Florida State, Bama, Florida State, 2007. Bobby Bowden against Nick Saban. Does it get any cooler than that? Yeah, it would if it was actually, you know, in Doak or in Bryant-Denny. But no, it was in Jacksonville. And it certainly left something to be desired. So I can understand. I mean, it doesn't feel collegial. Yes, the fact that the game was in Jacksonville is one thing. It'd be cool if it was at a game that, you know, at a stadium that actually felt synonymous with the game. But it's not. All right, you look at some of these other games, these other neutral sites. I already referenced, you know, Bama, excuse me, Bama, uh, uh, Oklahoma and, and Texas. All right. Bama and Auburn used to play in Birmingham at Legion Field, a site that was synonymous with college football. You still have games like that, like Alabama State and Alabama A&M. You know, the Magic City Classic, that's at Legion Field. All right, there's a million other games that are neutral site games. Army-Navy game, yes, that game is played in an NFL stadium, but it just feels different. It feels very different. All right, when they play in Philly or when they play in Baltimore, it feels very different from that of playing a game in Jacksonville. I don't know why, it just does. The other games that I kind of point to, yes, you have all those neutral site games, those kickoff classics that we have each and every year. I don't have a problem with those. Why? Because it's week one. And I feel like week one is a celebration of college football. Then I prefer to see games played in a home field. I prefer to see home and home environments. And I do think what ramped up in the neutral site world is starting to go away a little bit as we come back and these athletic directors putting a priority not on 
getting the cash grab that is a neutral site game, but understanding that there's more value in the long-term investment in the program by having home games so people invest in season tickets and they're more compelled to come to the home stadium and enjoy what might be a unique game. So I, I think that this is totally, totally above board to me. I hate tradition falling by the wayside. I think we all do. I'm a traditionalist in college football, but playing it in a corporate uh, corporate setting there in Jacksonville, Florida, doesn't feel like tradition. It doesn't. So I'm perfectly fine with seeing these games being moved to the swamp, and I'm perfectly fine with seeing it being played between the hedges. And I look forward to that day coming to fruition sooner than later. All right, this weekend we have an, a really a great rivalry game. We have Michigan, Michigan State. Now, I don't know if it's going to deliver the same type of drama that it's delivered in the past when it provided us with this gold. How about a listen to the touchdown call from Sean McDonough when Jalen Watts Jackson shocked the Wolverine Nation. Do you have ambitious hiring goals for the last quarter of 2022 with a powerful hiring partner? Big goals are no big deal. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract interview, and hire all in one place. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Indeed makes hiring all in one place so easy because it takes 10 minutes or less for most small business employers to post a job, according to Indeed Data US. Indeed also has a jaw-dropping pool of talent. In fact, three out of four US online job seekers Search for jobs on Indeed each month, according to Comstore. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at Indeed.com slash always. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 offer. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Well, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts-Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. All right, in your life. Now, we've seen some chaos, all right? We've seen some wild finishes. I think we all have seen some semblance of, of a crazy play like that. But I'm not sure I can recall off the top of my head, and there might be examples. So if there are, and there are some, hit us up in the comments section. Remind us. Maybe we'll revisit those a time or two down the road. But I can't recall a time in which all a guy has to do is get a punt off and they win. I mean, like, all you got to do, punt the ball. Well, even if it goes 15 yards, you're in good shape. I, even if you shank it, you're in great shape. But no, no, can't do that. It obviously gets blocked and returned to the house in one of the most memorable games, one of the most memorable outcomes, one of the most shocking outcomes we've ever seen in college football history. Coops, I remember exactly where I was watching that game. 
exactly where, where I was during that moment watching that game. And it's it will live with me forever. Where were you? <laughs> I was sitting there preparing to call a game. And I'm sitting, I mean, dumbfounded. By, and all the mechanics that went into that, I might add. Like, not to like pull back the curtain of like broadcast mechanics or anything like that. But for Sean McDonough to properly identify a core special teams player that's not really used offensively or defensively, and, you know, it's kind of just a guy that's, you know, involved, for him to properly identify that guy in the moment is like a ridiculous feat. Of it's one of the best calls. Kids. It's one of the it's best an calls unbelievable call. It's it's an unbelievable identification. Like, how in the world did he know that that was Jalen Watts? It's not like it was their leading receiver. Like it was it was Jalen Watts Jackson who plays on punt and punt return, and then occasionally he'll run down on kickoff. It's not like he's you know their go to the call guy. though. It really brings out like the, the the passion and the excitement about it. The voice crack. Oh, he's got a scout. You know, like everything about that call is amazing including, you know, just the ending. Like, it's just so hectic. So what game were you calling? I don't remember what game I was calling. I wish I could remember. Probably not a good game. I was pretty low on the totem pole at that point. (laughs) I remember (laughs) I I was actually at uh, Notre Dame, and um, I walked into Notre Dame Stadium. They were playing USC. And this is before they even had the, the Jumbotron that they have now. So the big thing at Notre Dame Stadium in the past was the PA announcer would come on. And he goes, a final from Ann Arbor, Michigan, 23 or 21, Michigan State, 27. And the place erupted. It was like <laughs> we had just won the game. Like we knew right then USC didn't stand a chance because Michigan had just lost. It was awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that that was the initial reaction. Looking back, I could tell you exactly where I was on that date. I was in College Station, Texas uh, there, and it, it was – it was wild to say the least. Wild to say the least. To score on the final play. That was October 17th of 2015. Feels like yesterday, I might add. Uh, I still can't believe it's been seven years, but hey, that's it's where we were. I was 27 years old when that play happened. Oh, it goes fast. It goes really fast. All right. That'll do it, man. Awesome. All right. Now to interact with some of you and all your outstanding questions via our mailbag. You can always be a part of the mailbag. Always college football at gmail.com. Hit us with your questions. We'll get to it. So, Coops, kick it off. All right. First one coming from Dan in Houston. Whose future do you believe in more, Texas with Steve Sarkeesian or Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher? Man, it's a really hot topic of debate right now. Uh, Based on what I've seen this year, I mean, Texas looks much better than that of Texas A&M, man. Texas A&M's got a lot of issues. I mean, a lot of issues. And I think part of the issue, one... Uh, well, Connor Wigman, Wigman, the outstanding freshman quarterback that was highly touted. We, we don't know. We, we don't know that he's the answer. I mean, I hope for Texas A&M fans, I hope he's the answer, but I don't, I don't know that at this point. Uh, I do, however, feel like Quinn Ewers is going to be pretty good based on what I've seen. Granted, did some ups and downs and some growing pains and the performance against Oklahoma state certainly left something to be desired, but he's shown enough to me to make me feel like next year he's going to take a big step. And if you look at the guys that are really contributing on Texas's roster, there's plenty of guys that are still young. That'll be coming back next year. 
Texas A&M in a similar spot, man, very, very young. But based on some of the things now, and you just hear about guys that aren't necessarily totally on board, you already have guys that have been indefinitely suspended. You have just a lot of issues right now with Texas A&M. I'm going to go with the Texas Longhorns. Uh, it's a tough question uh, because it's easy to be a prisoner of the moment. It really is. I mean, it's very easy to be a prisoner of the moment, but I'm going to go with Texas right now with you know, kind of the, the thing that they're building right now as opposed to the Texas A&M foundation where it feels like guys are jumping off left and right. So it, it might, hey, it's always darkest before dawn. Maybe Texas A&M finds themselves and gets hot and finishes strong. But man, that would be one of the more remarkable turnarounds we've seen this season. And nothing that I've seen up to this point has given me any indication that this group has the, the I guess, the the willingness to be all in for the next handful of games before the season finishes up all right steve in atlanta we've seen so many great games upsets and storylines already in college football but we hardly hear about the number one team in the country georgia are they the least talked about number one team ever and is that how kirby wants it but are they though because there was a little while there where stetson was in the heisman mix and then there was a little while there that brock bowers was in the Heisman mix and to you know in my opinion still should be in the Heisman mix. I think that there's this kind of a little bit like Ohio State. They're kind of the victim of their own success where after the first 3 weeks of the season it's like all right, well Georgia's ripping. They crushed Oregon, Samford and at South Carolina, I mean three completely dominant performances. They kind of struggled against Kent State, didn't look good, didn't look inspired. That carried over to the following week against Missouri. It was not a good performance whatsoever uh, against Missouri. Missouri almost got them. They rebounded by beating Auburn with a nice second half performance and ultimately got away from them. And then nobody watched the Vanderbilt game. So I, I'm not sure that they're they're not being talked about. It's just there's not really a reason to talk about them right now because they've played five consecutive, six consecutive games against teams that weren't ranked. And this week against Florida, yeah, Florida's not ranked, but I can promise you this. We'll be talking a whole lot about Georgia next week as they're getting ready to ramp up to the game against Tennessee. So it's a little bit dependent. Like we've talked less about Ohio State on this program, I feel like, than probably any other program that covers college football because we care about great matchups. And, and frankly, like Georgia hasn't had great matchups. Neither has Ohio State. So they're going to get their due. And there's plenty of games still left on the schedule for Georgia. At Kentucky might be a tricky one. We know the Tennessee game is going to be good. Maybe they'll go on the road to Starkville and maybe Mississippi State will play their best game and you know make it a little bit challenging. But man, if they can get through Florida and Tennessee, they're looking at another 12-0 deal. And you know, we'll, we'll talk about them a lot leading up to the SEC championship game. So yes, they're not talked about, but it's not really their fault. I kind of put them in the same category as Ohio State. And there hasn't really been a real reason to talk about them because I'm not super concerned. And the, the competition in the last few weeks hasn't really warranted a deeper discussion. All right. And Frank and Charlotte, there are a lot of college football head coaching jobs already open. If you were an AD, what would you look for in a coach? And when would you want the position filled by? Well, it depends on where I'm at. Um, I think it depends a lot on let's say if your your needs at say Nebraska are very different than that of your needs at say you know f wherever i mean it's another 
opening, another job opening, right? I mean, there's yeah, every school is a little bit different. Like, I mean, Charlotte's needs are going to be very different from that of UAB, and they're both in the American, like very different, right? So it's it's one of those scenarios where my biggest priority when evaluating a coach right now has to be can he relate to the modern player? Like that that's very important, okay? Can he relate to the players? Can he recruit? Very very important. But that to me in a lot of people's eyes is too much of a priority. Like that can't be the only thing you bring to the table. Oh, he's a great recruiter. All right, cool. That's awesome. What does he do on game day? How does he XO? Like can he XO? That's one. Can he re- relate to the player? Can he recruit? That's big. Two, where's he been? Because I, I need to know what coaching tree he's coming from. And I need to know what his philosophies are, whether it be offensively or defensively. And me right now, I'd lean offense. Like if I had to hire a coach, I'd lean offense right now. Just think that if a coach prioritizes offense, they can maybe put together a little bit more exciting product. And even though your defense might ultimately fall victim to you prioritizing the offense, guess what? At least you're scoring a lot of points and your games are exciting. So I'd prioritize offense and you're probably selling more tickets too. Nobody wants to see games like Iowa right now. I mean, if you win a game 9-6, in the eyes of a lot of people, they're like, yeah, you didn't even win. (laughs) So I want to score points. So I'm getting an offensive guy that has a history and a background of calling plays and that has had time on a staff with a great head coach. And then three can obviously, can obviously relate to the players and recruit at a really high level. Those would be the three boxes that I'd want to check. And those are kind of universal. But if you're at, say, Nebraska, having an understanding of Nebraska and having an understanding and a connection to, say, maybe the state of Texas on the recruiting trail would be of the highest priority. So there's a lot of things that I would consider. And obviously, there's a lot of job openings that that need to be assessed. Uh, Nebraska probably being the biggest. But there are, I, I think, a lot of things that need to be figured out about some of the jobs and some of the candidates. But like I said, pretty simple. One, offensive guy that can call plays. Two, does he have history of having coached at or with a big-time head coach? And three, can he relate to recruits? Hey, thanks so much for being with us. What a great show today, hitting a bunch of different topics, hitting a top 10. Hit us up on our social media if you disagree, at alwayscfb. That's on Instagram and on Twitter. You can hit us up. I already gave you the email, alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. I also think that you should reach out to the show directly via the YouTube comments. You can hit that thumbs up button and route to the comments section. We have a lot of comments on there, so we love reading those. We love the feedback that we've gotten from you. Up to this point, please like, rate, and subscribe on the podcast, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or if you're on some other podcast network, we appreciate you downloading and subscribing with us. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.